0: You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. The internet gives every business and every individual the potential to make your photography, your work, your business, or whatever passion you have to reach the entire world. When I created improvephotography.com, it completely changed my life. When I was able to take my ideas and bring them to a broad audience, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain welcome back to the improved photography podcast i'm your host jim harmer and today i'm talking with nathan saint andre and brenda petrella hey guys hi Hey, how's it going? Well, both of you guys are writers on the website, and you're both uh, nature and landscape photographers. Uh, and so, uh, to for those of you who uh, uh, haven't, uh, who don't know you guys, will you guys just kind of introduce yourself real quick before we get started? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. Brenda, do
2: you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Brenda Petrella. I live in Vermont. Um, I started doing photography full time about a year and a half ago. Um, after a career in science and uh, decided to pursue landscape and nature photography because it was what I was really passionate about and I really wanted to uh, be spending more time outside and I thought that would be a great way to do it and so far so good. Awesome and Nathan?
1: Yeah so I work as a biologist for the state of Utah um, but I'm not full-time employed so in between seasons I am a full-time landscape photographer uh, and so I work Um, My work mostly focuses in and around Zion National Park because I live right outside of it, but I also explore a lot of other reaches. So I spend my weekdays doing that, and I sell my photography on weekends at local art shows. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, we wanted to talk about two different topics today. Um, In the first half, we wanted to talk about photographing water, uh, which, Brenda, you'd pointed out that this is like the perfect time to be talking about this uh, because in in much of the, of the northern hemisphere anyway, uh, it's winter right now and waterfalls uh, are still something you can photograph even during the winter. And as we go into spring, of course, it's like the perfect season to be photographing waterfalls, uh, which at least here in Idaho, I don't know about where you guys are, but this winter has felt like spring all year round. We've had like no winter in Idaho, uh, so it's been fantastic. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, things.
2: In, yeah, Vermont's been uh, hit or miss. We had some uh, sub-degree weather right around Christmas time. It was like minus forty wind chill. Oh
1: wow! So
2: our waterfalls were absolutely frozen. Um, but now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been warming up a little bit more, and so the water's flowing again, which makes for some really cool uh, images because you've got the mix of the big icicles and the water. You know know freezing and thawing every night and uh and then the water flowing and you can get some really cool effects with with those it's sort of my favorite time of year to be photographing waterfalls actually
0: Yeah, I I love doing that. I've I've photographed that several times uh, where waterfalls are just kind of half frozen. And it always just adds that little bit of extra to the photo. It's just that little bit more interesting, more uh, captivating, especially if you can ever get it where you kind of have a a late season freeze or a a, a very early season freeze where you get some of that snow or icicles on the waterfall, but everything around it is still green. Uh, That always looks really cool in a photo.
2: Yeah, yeah, yep, Um, yeah, or after just after a snowfall, especially if it's a late season snowfall where the water is running because it's warmer out, but if you get that sticky snow on the trees, it can really uh, brighten up the photo well. And um, the other thing I really enjoy doing with uh, photographing waterfalls in the winter is to use a telephoto lens, and so uh, really zooming in on the more intricate aspects of the waterfall that where you can start capturing those snow and ice details in in the structure
0: yeah yeah i, I i've never been really great at that um, i am much better at taking the the wider photo and stuff i usually when i'm shooting a waterfall want to kind of scoot way 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 back from the waterfall and just include all the environment around it and just have the waterfall be uh, a little piece of of the photo um so I, I'm I'm more inclined to do that kind of shot, and I often miss the little smaller, intricate details of a waterfall. Yeah, I'm terrible yeah. at that. So how do you find yeah, great waterfalls?
1: Water- oh, I'm sorry, Nathan. Go ahead. No, yeah. So most of my waterfall stuff, I mean, actually, I usually try not to scoot too far back, but I'm usually too close sometimes where water is getting on the lens. So I spend a lot of my existence kind of in that, um, just on the edge of the splash zone.
0: Uh-huh. And so what do you do to, to keep your lens clean? Uh,
1: my t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do a lot of that, or or I'll kind of compose the shot, and then I'll spin the camera away, um, dry it off real quick, and spin it back, take the shot and spin it back away.
0: Yeah, I got a huge microfiber cloth uh, a couple of years ago, um, just like a really big one, like you know, you're tempted to clean yourself, uh, use it as a towel, you know, (laughs) like really big microfiber cloth. And I always carry that in my camera bag now. Um, And whenever I'm shooting waterfalls, I kind of just drape it over the entire camera and then just quickly remove it uh, to take a shot and then put it back over the lens and just kind of draped over. Then it keeps the whole, the whole camera relatively dry. I mean, it's not, It'll soak up water. It's not, uh, you know, it's not like a sack or something that's going to keep all the water off. But it, uh, it's great because it can kind of, you can kind of clean the lens with it, kind of keep the camera uh, from getting the water splashed on it in the first place. Uh, that's been my best solution for, uh, for uh, keeping my stuff dry when shooting waterfalls. Because if you don't, man, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, gone to shoot waterfalls. I get too close right away. I shoot two or three shots and the rest of the shoot, I just can't get that lens dry. And then if you get any light filtering through the trees, it just really ruins the image quality as it hits the, the wet front of the lens.
1: That's something yeah, that, that, that doesn't really happen
0: in the Southwest. I feel like,
1: the air is so dry here, you can dry it off, and it all dries off pretty quickly. I don't know what it's like to photograph up in, like, the northwest where it's so humid, where just nothing evaporates because it's just not an issue out here. It's just constant dust. That's my biggest issue when it comes to photographing waterfalls is there's always dust specks constantly showing up in the water. So you have to, like, pay attention to that,
0: like, crazy yeah, that's true. I guess that's more of an Iceland-Oregon waterfall, that that's an issue uh, down where you are in the desert. I mean, it's mostly slot canyons that it's just kind of a rift of water, and it's not like the giant river leaping off the mountain that's just sending spray everywhere. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I've never photographed big waterfalls like that.
0: So, um, and the other thing is to just have two wide angle lenses wherever possible, uh, when shooting in that kind of situation, I I did see somebody once who had a little solution with a can of air that they would use, uh, shooting over the, the front of the lens to just like prevent water from even touching the lens. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, But sometimes, especially in Iceland, ah man, I've missed a lot of photos uh, just because I could not keep my lens dry. You know, you kind of get one or two cracks at it and uh, then your lens is just soaked if you want to be up close at the angle where you want to be.
2: so Yeah, I mean, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just throw the lens cap on as, you know, as I'm fiddling with settings or whatever and, you know, wipe it off right before I hit the shutter button. Um, but it is challenging, uh, to keep it clean.
0: Yeah. And that works great. If you have a, you know, a,
2: a moisture
0: proof camera is as long as your camera splash proof. Um, and on some of them, you know, the Fujis and Sonys, uh, they just are not very waterproof. And so you got to really be careful yeah. with them as you're shooting. I've, uh, yeah. run amiss of that many times. What do you guys do about the composition for waterfalls? Uh, often I feel like I either get, you know, just up close and I fill the frame with water and then there's just kind of no composition, it's just kind of water everywhere in the frame. Um some sometimes it can be difficult to to photograph a waterfall because it's just a huge subject. So what kind of uh, tips or suggestions would you have for um for getting better more creative photos of falls? <laughs>
2: Well, what I like to do is um, sort of get in the water, uh, you know, especially if it's not a, a rushing river. If it's more like a stream, which is um, more typical around Vermont and New Hampshire, anyway, um, and sort of you know stand in the water, get low, and try to um, find some river rocks that might form a leading line up to the waterfall itself. And then you can use a polarizing filter to um, reduce the glare on the water so that you can see through the water at the, uh, and you know. Take pictures of, of those um, uh, river rocks that are leading up to the uh, waterfall. Um, in the winter, where you know the, there's a lot of snow and ice in the streams, that's a little more challenging. But you can sometimes use the the ice or the snow formations also as leading lines leading up to the waterfall, and that, that can give a pretty cool effect as well.
1: Yeah. Kind of what I do for kind of like the biggest issues I feel like I run into um, when you're composing waterfalls is trying not to have um, like where where you're following the flow of the water and have the flow go out of scene and come back into scene because I feel like that creates points of tension. And so I try to make sure that doesn't happen. And then for composition, Um, Most of the waterfalls around here are kind of small, so they're never, like, the main subject. They're always an accent piece, and so I always try to make sure that um, they're a good, solid accent piece to really what's in the grand scheme. But if it's the main aspect of it, uh, it better fill the frame, but it should include something that leads up to it because um, that is what draws you into the image. If it doesn't have that draw you in, it's just flat, and it doesn't have, like, the really good aspect of what a good photo should have is, like, a depth, and so get low, get back, um, or get low. And so there's something up front as an anchor that leads back to the waterfall. Otherwise than no, that, it's just like water and it's not, um, compelling in the slightest.
0: Yeah. That's, I think, especially true, uh, down in, in Zion and in the desert area, um, because there, you know, your background behind the waterfall is so often a slot Canyon, you know, it's often large slabs of red rock and stuff in the in the northwest and iceland and in a lot of places you're shooting up at a huge waterfall and behind the waterfall is sky and that Mm -hmm. can be really hard to uh to photograph if you're getting down low usually on those kind of waterfalls i'm trying to find a way to get high i'm not trying to get on a mountainside or something so i can shoot you know halfway up the waterfall or or above the waterfall shooting down on it because otherwise you just have that bright white sky streaming in uh, from behind it and that that kind of brings up the topic of of when to shoot waterfalls because the cool thing about waterfalls is often you can shoot them you know most of the day um, it, you know if it's a cloudy day or something you can just throw on an ND filter and shoot all day you can shoot a waterfall. Um, And some areas you really just can't because there's light filtering through uh, the trees and it just looks really ugly, nasty highlights uh, if you're shooting in the day. So kind of recognizing what specific conditions you'll be shooting in uh, for the waterfall, I think, are important because some waterfalls you really can shoot all day long um, and others, you you know, it's just like anything else. You got to shoot it early morning, late afternoon uh, to be able to get the light right. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would absolutely use
0: I'm... like Go ahead. photographer's
1: ephemeris. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would use photographer as ephemeris or like photo pills to get an idea. Um, because every waterfall is different. And so if you're gonna be photographing them, like make sure the light is either gonna be you're gonna make sure that waterfall is gonna be in the shade or that light is like behind you so it's not killing the sky. Mm-hmm. And so like really pay attention to that. So I'd spend a lot of time just like looking at the angle of that waterfall using those um, apps.
0: Yeah, I think that's what's so much – oh, I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a delay on the call just for the listeners. (laughs) If you're wondering why we keep interrupting each other, it's just the delay on the call. Go ahead, Brenda.
2: I was just going to say sometimes what I do when I'm driving around, you know, scoping out new waterfalls, if I haven't, you know, pre-programmed like using photo pills or TPE, um, you know, sometimes I find it – conceptually better for me just to be at the waterfall itself and then, you know, use the compass on my phone to get an idea of which way it's uh, facing. And, you know, I'll take notes or take a couple of iPhone photos of the area to be like, okay, this waterfall would be awesome at at 10 a.m. But by, you know, 3 p.m., it's, you know, the the sun will be shining on it. And um, even though it's later in the day, it might still create some harsh shadows just because of of how the the trees are around the waterfall or whatever, and so um, so yeah. Sometimes I think just driving around and scoping things out and taking notes, taking a uh, note of which way the waterfall is oriented and um, what the surrounding landscape looks like uh, will also be helpful in t- determining the time of day that might be best for that particular waterfall.
0: Yeah, and another I thing like with waterfalls is you you can sometimes be there too early or too late um because you know to get the the lighting right if you're there when it's too dark it can just the water just becomes too blurred out you have to have too long of an exposure so while you can usually shoot them in low light because you're using a a long exposure sometimes there there are conditions that are just too dark right
1: yeah i like that compass idea because one of the things I run into is if I find a, a waterfall in a canyon um, you can't see the sun and you can't really orient yourself like you have an idea of which direction the canyon's moving but like like Canaryville Falls for example is really difficult to actually like to determine which direction is you know east west north south because you can't see the sky uh, hardly at all. And so that compass idea is actually not a bad idea to try to figure out orientation of how to like use the cane to your best advantage.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, so do you guys always use a polarizing filter when you're shooting waterfalls? I, I almost always do. I, I mean, if there's just no yeah. light really falling in there, sometimes I'll skip it, but almost every time I do.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it really does make a difference. Even, um, you know, even if it's not that sunny of a day, say it's a cloudy day and and you have a nice flat light. Um, and even if your waterfall is sort of, you know, protected by trees or other rocks or whatever, anything that's wet, you know, even if, even if you can see in the water, let's say, um, the rocks around the waterfall will be wet and they'll be reflective too. And so, um, it just makes a big difference if you try, you know, with or without the polarizer, I think it makes a huge difference to have it on.
1: Yeah, I don't have a polarizer because I use the, the Tamron 15-30 to 30 lens, and so uh. it's got that giant bulbous element on the front, and so I haven't oh, dropped yeah. the money yet on a Nisi system that can actually attach to it because
0: it's really expensive, but it's on the list of things to get.
2: Oh, somebody! Was yeah, I'm in just... the market for, for those as well. <laughs>
0: Somebody, one of the writers, was just telling me that he's going to review a new new system for that, uh, that had one of the, you know, a, a filter system for the bulbous front element lenses. So I can't remember who that was, uh, but we'll find out who that was. It said said uh, there's a, there's a good one. Well, they can send it my way because I'd love to give it a shot. Yeah, when I shot the Nikon fourteen to twenty four, I had the same problem. You know, I didn't want to buy two lenses. I didn't want to get a sixteen to thirty five and a fourteen to twenty four. Um, but yeah. if you're, if you're shooting those lenses, you know, the Tamron 1530 and Icon 14 to 24 and others, you just, you you can't really use filters unless you get one of those, uh, specialized systems for filters. Uh-huh. So, so why shoot the the bulbous front element lenses then? I mean, uh, it, it gets you an extra, you know, one, two millimeters, but then you can't use filters on them. So, uh... So what what's your reasoning for choosing that? I'm sure you thought through thought through that.
1: Uh, the reason why I got it is because it was a price point thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the I got my lens used on I think Amazon for like eight fifty. Um, nice, that's for the, a the good camera, deal. Uh-huh. and so yeah, it was a it was a really good deal, and so that's the reason why I went with it. I actually really wish I had a Canon lens again. I would love to go back to the sixteen to thirty five um and work with that because i would love to be able to a save weight because this lens is so massive yeah it's crazy heavy beast (laughs) that tamron fifteen thirty is a beast yeah i can like beat something to death with that thing Uh so i'd love to be able to go back to a canon lens where i could actually use a filter and so um that's something i would like to do but it's just right now it's price point that's keeping me from going that direction
0: yeah, that's always been an unfortunate thing about the APS C format, the crop sensor cameras. Uh, I, I have never yet used an APS C uh, wide angle lens that I was like fully satisfied with, that I was like, okay, this is just as good as the full frame um, wide angle lens. The, the mm-hmm. APS C wide angle lenses, every single one that I've tested, like, there are some good and, you know, some better than others for sure, but comparing the quality of of the APS-C wide-angle lenses to a full-frame wide-angle lens is like night and day difference. Uh, every single one I've tested. Not that it couldn't. There's nothing wrong with the format itself. I think it's just the camera mm-hmm. manufacturers see, oh, it, you know, it's it's a less expensive format. You know, they don't want to pay... Uh, for an expensive lens. And I hope that changes because there are a lot of very serious photographers who just prefer the APS-C format. Uh, so I, I, I'd love to see that change. Um, but, but still, I've never met an APS-C wide angle that I... Some are good, but just not quite to that like crazy, amazing image quality level. Uh coincidentally, the the Sony wide angle, the 16 to 3528, the, the GM lens, uh that's still pretty new, the I think. New it's, one? Yeah, it's only a few months old. Holy cow. Definitely the best wide angle I've ever shot. <laughs> man, that thing really? is good. It's nice. awesome. Uh so lightweight. Like when I when I held it the first time, I was like, oh, man. This is an amateur lens (laughs) because you just (laughs) guess from the, the, from the weight and size of it. But whoo, that sucker is sharp as a tack shoots. It's at F 2.8. That is a really nice lens. The only thing that I would say is imperfect on that lens is it's not internal focus, uh, which is handy for, uh, for a wide angle. So you're not changing your composition as you uh, refocus and stuff. Um, There is some focus breathing on it. Um, and just the the actuals the zooming moving the lens in and out you know can get dust in there and stuff uh so it's not perfect but it's pretty darn close
1: oh yeah that would be an issue like the the issue if it sucks in dust as you move it in and out uh, mm, yeah i mean it's at least not a a,
0: it's not a push pull you know at least yeah but anytime you know those the twisting ones where it's not internal focus it's Uh, I think there's just a higher likelihood. I haven't had any problem yet, but I I do think there would be a higher likelihood. And Sony isn't the best at weather sealing either.
1: They'll get there. They'll get there.
0: They'll get there. Yeah, they will. They'll have to. Well, in the second half of this episode, we want to talk about uh, kind of planning trips, uh, especially for looking out uh, into the year as things get warmer in the Northern Hemisphere and kind of planning what you want to do with photography. Uh, but before that, I want to just take a minute to uh, to mention some things going on on, on Improved Photography Plus. Um, first of all, support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Squarespace. Are you ready to start your new business, launch your photography business, or just take your ideas and make them available to the world? Well, you can make them stand out with Squarespace. Squarespace is just a really easy way to start your website. They have 24-7 customer support. The templates are really beautiful, so it looks polished and professional right from the gate, never looks homemade, and your website is yours. You can customize it, change it, quickly update it anytime you want, all with Squarespace. Squarespace's easy to navigate interface. Destiny is calling and it says it needs a new website. Make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com offer code improve. And we thank Squarespace for their long-standing support of this podcast. I've always been a big fan of their platform. The Felix Hernandez tutorial, uh, the first part of it is up. I'm continuing as fast as I can to edit uh, more and more video to add in there. I think that video is going to be like five hours long when it's done. Uh, it's a an exceptional tutorial. He did so well with it. Um, and it totally has me thinking of new ways to shoot so if you remember from when he was on the show um, he's photographing like these tiny scale models like a toy car uh, or you know toy action figures and stuff um, and he's kind of setting up scenes like so I went down to Mexico uh, in January to photograph with him um, and he like gets a, a sifter and puts puts flour in it and we will just uh, kind of sprinkle flour all over um, and you know just on a tabletop he'll sprinkle flour over an action figure. But he's photographing it in such a way and then compositing in a background that, man, it looks real. It's just incredible. Um So wow. it, it's really – it's so neat, the stuff that he's doing um, and photographing, you know, cars and stuff and then making these – making it look like it's on a racetrack and stuff. It was just totally crazy. Um, and he – it was really just a lot of little tricks that he was using that gives it that appearance that it's real um you know i'm pretty sure if i just got a toy and i photographed it it would just look like a toy you know Uh, but (laughs) he's doing a few little things a few secrets that that i was able to pick up on from him that just totally changed the whole thing one for example is um so he's whatever let's say he's got an action figure sets it on the table um sprinkles the the snow all around or whatever, and then photographs it. Now he can composite in a background, let's say the stars or something. But then the foreground, he's leaving some of the the flower on the table as the foreground to look like snow. But then he's also putting in a photograph of just snow in the way in the foreground uh, that he's compositing in, a photo of real snow. And so it blends the the real snow picture in the very foreground. Uh, to the flower, fake uh, snow in the midground, and then there's a real background composited in. And so it just, it's so cool. Just those couple little things he did um, are just really fun. So I'm super excited to to get going on it. I think at the... At the conference in March, I'm going to bring a few things so that uh, so that we can play with that and uh, and enjoy enjoy uh, learning the technique. I haven't had a chance yet to uh, to try it myself, but it was fun shooting with him for a few days. So check out improvephotographyplus.com. That's our uh, subscription site where we post all our tutorials, uh, and that one is continuing. I'm as I edit each hour, I'm just uploading it there, uh, and eventually the whole thing will be up there and in uh probably probably be a month about e- each week i think i can add another hour to it um so you can get your fill and see see what else is up there so pretty cool all right nathan cool. you've been uh you've been planning some trips uh where are you planning to go
1: uh, uh monument valley um in and bluff um some of the indian ruins out there um uh, potentially even all the way up into arches and Canyonlands. So I I am starting to put together ideas of locations to hike and locations to photograph. And so I have been at that pretty seriously now for about three days.
0: Awesome. Uh, I feel bad every time I hear somebody's trip planning uh, if you don't have an iPhone and you can't get the really good photospots app um, to uh, to look at them but m- many of you if you do have an iPhone and you haven't heard of it yet uh, check out really good photo spots it's an iPhone app uh, that I created to uh, just has a huge huge database of places to uh to photograph so if you're ever traveling you know in your local area you may find some new things but you'll probably know a lot of them but anytime you're traveling at all uh even going on a business trip something like that um definitely do it because you you know you can waste you know hours and hours and hours trying to find locations and that can definitely shortcut your um your trip planning so, um, so you're you're on Android, and you're and you're going to uh, new places, Nathan. So, what's your what's your first step for finding places to go photograph?
1: Okay, I start first with Google Earth, and I have a couple of plugins. And so there is a comprehensive list of sly canyons actually floating around online. You can hunt that down. And so I start there and see if there's anything cool to start with that. And I start researching those. And then I just go to Google Earth. And I was bringing this up earlier in, in kind of the pre-talk, but they have um, a photo layer that shows just like where people have taken images and tagged it and Google has uploaded onto Google Maps. And I use that constantly to to like discover hidden treasures. Uh, I've discovered a handful of arches way out in the middle of nowhere that have no trails leading out to them because people like wandering and they took a photograph and, and tagged it. And so, uh, for like Monument Valley, I went out there and I'm just looking at that photo layer and seeing names because they discontinued it. So they don't, I I can't see the photos anymore, but I can see the names of the locations. And so I'm, I'm Googling constantly these names of like interesting spots and I'm, I just start writing out a list of interesting things. And then recently I've turned to Facebook and started asking local communities about things, and that's starting to become um, pretty fruitful too.
0: Uh, yeah, that that really is unfortunate that the that Google Earth has lost so many photos now. Used to be, you could go on Google Earth and just see dozens of photos, like anywhere, and you could zoom into different areas. Uh, but two major services went under: Panoramio. Um, which I think was owned by Google and they just sunsetted um, and then photo bucket also died a couple of years ago and when that happened we lost you know literally millions and millions of photos uh, uh, like this that are you know geotagged and stuff it, it never was perfect because most of these you know photo bucket and Panoramio have not been pod- popular in many many years and so it was when GPS just wasn't as good and so often um, the the locations are just way off crazy um, but still marked on the map so i've definitely been led astray by looking at at the photo layer unless you see like a cluster of photos you see a bunch of them there then you know okay you know a lot of people have tagged this uh this spot as it Uh, but if you just find one sometimes it can lead you way way off But but it really is a shame that a lot of that is is gone, and now there are services uh, like Flickr uh, that that uh, you know again it's an older service. Um, and so it doesn't have a lot of the updated stuff, but it should be better because now we have iPhones and, and well, cell phones in general that have, you know, good GPS. A lot of cameras now have good GPS. And so we, we have that data. I just, I wish there was a website that was, that would allow us to access a, you know, a huge chunk of, of photos and, and see those well.
1: Yeah. I can't tell me yet tell you how many times I've seen Horseshoe Bend tagged just in random spots throughout the state of Utah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's, that's something uh, that I've seen quite a bit, but, um, yeah, I've been, I've been using quite a, um, a few different methods to just like start pinpointing, um, interesting things. And so it's been, it's been fun to look up and plan out this trip out to Monument Valley. Cause I have a list. It's about eight or nine locations. Um, that I, I would like to check out along the way. And so now the the question is, is finding out whether the road's a, a four by four only to go down or if it's not. And so I have to do a lot of Googling down these, like hunting down hike, these hiking locations and seeing if my car can get out there or not. Uh
0: huh.
2: I'm, I'm curious for you to, you, you know, to ask you guys um, when you're scouting out locations and planning trips and stuff like that, and you start coming up with your list of photos that you want to take, um, do you think, prioritize the the subject the lo- location over sort of time of day and what sort of photograph you want to get like whether it's going to be night sky or um you know early morning sunrise sunset i mean obviously it has to do with the orientation of the photograph but uh you know wh- which way you're facing um but i just i'm just curious like do you imagine the final photograph first, or do you go to the site and spend a day or two there and try everything, and then come home with a a bigger portfolio from one site? Uh, the answer is yes.
0: Um, I do all the above.
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> everything is
0: prioritized in Nathan's world. <laughs> but but uh, well, everything I, priority I one. Find,
1: I first find a location, and then I check orientation of the sun to determine whether it's a sunrise or either sunset. Um, or if it's if it might be good for a Milky Way or something. Yeah. Um, and so I look into all of that, and then I start planning, like, okay, from my house, it takes me four hours to get here, so if it's four hours there, um, I should try to plan sunset for here and probably a sunrise as well. And if I can sneak in a hike during the day that of a location that doesn't look spectacular but it might be interesting, I'll do that.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I always just get a, a sunset and a a sunrise and sunset shot. Um, you know, whatever the our prime times are, I usually yeah. plan those out pretty solid. Like, I'm shooting this for sun sunrise and this sunset um, because if I try to do too many things in the morning and the evening uh you know say okay i'm gonna go sneak to this location and then this one's just a mile away so i'll see if i can get that also at sunrise it never works out usually the best for me is i could say i'm just gonna hit one spot and try to make you know my best image in this until the light's gone and then you know maybe it's a little overcast in the day and i can go shoot waterfalls or whatever else but i always try to just get a morning and night that are rock solid (laughs) and everything else is just gravy See if I can work yeah. something out.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, also, I one of to- my
0: one of my favorite things to do when I'm photographing places that are you know pretty well photographed, it's been shot lots of times, is I I love to see if I can go shoot it at a completely different time of day. Um, for example, you mentioned Horseshoe Bend, Nathan, which has been photographed like I, I mean it just it's so well photographed that place has been shot so much Uh, but it's very rare to see a night photo there Uh, and so the last time i was there i said oh well i'm gonna go shoot horseshoe bend at night and actually it's a great place to shoot at night um extremely dangerous you do have to be careful but it's a great place to shoot at night uh it like Faces right into the Milky Way uh, for part of the year, and it's super dark out there. Page doesn't have many many city lights, and this is kind of out from the city. Uh, So it's a fantastic place to shoot at night, and you almost never see night photos there. So if you're photographing a place that's uh, been shot to death, try a completely different time of day.
1: Or angle like i went when i went and photographed horseshoe bend i've actually avoided photographing it for a year and a half now because i like i've driven by it a dozen times so I, I have no desire to take the exact same photo that's been taken by everybody else and so uh when i went there i walked to the spot where everyone takes photographs and then i headed as far right as i possibly could and still have a good composition i was by myself and so uh i just i can't photograph from a spot that someone else has done or is at that moment, it just like irritates me to, to all end. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I go to the area and I'm like, okay, well, everyone has this shot. How far can I walk before no one has this shot? And I do that.
2: Yeah. I think it's important to try to get new angles, you know, cause um, we live in a world now where everyone's out with a camera of some sort. And so it's really hard to come up with those unique compositions. And, you know, I think we should all be trying to strive for that. Yeah. One,
0: uh, one thing that has helped me before is just asking, uh, local people who are kind of in the know about places to go, uh, places to photograph. I've also made lots of mistakes with this. Um, sometimes I'll go to the hotel desk clerk, you know, I've tried just saying, Hey, you know, where's a beautiful place to go around here to, to photograph. And, you know, often they'll like, Oh, there's an awesome city park over here. It's like, Okay, not, that, not quite what I'm looking for. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to go do that. Um, you know, they, they just don't have a totally different uh, idea of, you know, photographers are looking for something specific, I guess is what I mean. But also sometimes I've, I've really done well with that. Um, in Yellowstone, if you go to the north entrance of Yellowstone to shoot in the winter, um, I always stay at the Best Western there. And the, all of the, the hotel clerks there are, they're just, they love the wildlife and stuff. So I always just, the first day I say, Hey, do you know where any kills are? And they're like, Oh yeah. I heard on the radio yesterday that there's a kill down uh, by this mile post and stuff. Go over there. How people have been saying they've been uh, seeing the wolves coming into a kill on there or, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's they're just, it's just fantastic. Um, So sometimes getting local knowledge like that can be helpful. And sometimes it's just not helpful at all right (laughs) yeah i
1: judge their um their kind of handiness uh a do they look like an outdoorsy person because usually those people kind of have like a really good understanding um and then after talking i just start like I'll, I'll throw in, like, leading questions in there and be like, oh, yeah, have you ever been to this area? And they're like, yes. And the moment they start, like, you, you mentioned a couple of obscure spots, they know that you're in the know, too, and then they start revealing their secrets. And so I, I was out in Escalante, and I was talking to the front desk lady, and I, I brought up one cane, and she was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, have you ever been there? And she's like, I have done 30 miles through the most remote sections of that area. You should check out X, Y, and Z. And so I, I started doing a lot of that, and I'll go chit-chat with the, the front desk people and kind of gauge um, their outdoorsy level and just start asking about anything and everything in that region. And if they're the type of person who is uh, like kind of a wanderlust person they will have tons of information on a lot of these backpacking areas and these like wilderness areas that have really cool things in them that people don't normally see and so i I really try to go and talk to those guys or um pay attention to the moment anytime anybody like reveals a tiny bit of information about a location i either pester them about it or i go look online um and then that's how i go from there but only if they reveal the information if they're not willing to reveal the information they just you should make sure you should respect that decision
0: yeah cool well um i just want to encourage everybody to uh, plan something now um you know plan something now for the summer because man summers happen fast i don't know about you guys but especially with kids um, they're all the time in the summer sometimes we'll have like almost every weekend we're doing something. And then at the end of the summer, we're like, hey, we only went camping like twice this summer. Um, and so this time of year, my wife and I are always talking, saying, all right, let's get some dates on the calendar that are, you know, reserved trip weekends that we're going to go camping. We're going to get out in the outdoors, do whatever. Uh, so we don't let summer kind of run us by. And especially where this has been a light winter, it looks like we're going to have a, a long season out in the outdoors uh, and being able to, to shoot photos. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, good stuff.
0: Well, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week. Um, Brenda, what do you have first?
2: Well, so I'm a a short woman, right? I'm only like (laughs) 5'2". And so I've struggled with finding a a really good camera backpack um, that's comfortable for my size to go on short day hikes with. Is it that they're just
0: too... uh, tall, like the waistband goes too low or what makes it uncomfortable? Yeah,
2: Yeah, exactly. I can cinch the, you know, the shoulder straps as tight as they can go. And the waist belt will still be, you know, too far down or the shoulder straps are now cutting into my chest or something like that uncomfortably. And so, um, I, I have struggled to find something that was comfortable that could fit my gear. But I do have a, a just an Osprey backpack that I hike with all the time, a day pack. It's like a thirty five liter day pack. And so what I did was for sixty bucks, I purchased from MindShift this um Photo insert, it actually is supposed to be part of one of their backpacks, but you can purchase the insert separately. So it's called the Rotation 180 Professional Photo Insert. And um, I can fit a few lenses, uh, my full frame camera, um, you know, in a little teleconverter, you know, another little doodads uh, into that. And that just slips inside the, the backpack. Um, and then I still have room for my tripod, and filters, a rain jacket, you know, food, um, and, and microfiber cloth and all, all the accessories that you would need. And I find it to be super comfortable and lightweight and um, ex- accessible from the top and from the side. So if you had a backpack that opened differently than my Osprey pack, it, would, it could still potentially work. So right now that's my go-to backpack uh, hiking uh, setup. Oh, that's cool.
0: I've heard good things about those Osprey packs.
2: Uh, they're yeah. super comfortable, yeah, and you can really pack a lot into them, and, um, you know, it was a pack I already had, and so instead of spending, you know, $300 on a new camera backpack that probably wouldn't fit me, <laughs> this was a really good option for me.
1: Yeah, my uh, my backpack would probably eat you then. It's gigantic, and so whenever my wife wears it, she she looks small in it, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nathan, what do you have for us today?
1: So, I am using the Blue Yeti microphone. And so, this is a kind of a new doodad for me. Uh, I've been using it to try to do like tutorial videos. And so, it's relatively cheap and it has really good uh, audio recording quality mm-hmm. um, for the price. And so, I've been using it to kind of like play around doing some like photography tutorials. And yeah, it's been a good, fun addition to um, my computer desk
0: very cool. Well, as I've mentioned, I think on every episode this year, uh, this is my (laughs) no new gear year. Um, so for my doodads of the week, they are all going to be do randoms, or I'm also going to sprinkle in some, um, just gear that I've, I've, of course talked about before on the show, but you know, so much gear comes through and you know, you like it at first and then you just don't really end up using it. So I want to kind of talk about some of just the things that like have lasted forever that I've, uh, that have uh, kind of become essential gear for me. But today is a do random. um, And this one is the Arlo um, security camera system. Uh, If you have a photography studio, like I read all the time um, about photographers whose studios get broken into because obviously you got a ton of expensive equipment in there Um, or, you know, in your house, wherever it is. Uh, But I I just have it in my house. I'm a little bit uh, fanatical about home security. Uh, So I, I have these. These are awesome because they are... Battery powered or powered by a cord. Um, so if you if you just use the battery, they'll last three months, um, and then wow. you can stick them up everywhere. You don't have to wire anything, or of course you can just plug it into a regular um, to a regular outlet. Um, but you would stick them up all around the house, and then you put install your app, and they only record when there's motion, which I really like uh, because a lot of the the wireless ones will do continuous recording and then you know it's five cameras uploading a constant stream of video it's just huge and it just really slows down your internet and stuff so i like that these only are are capturing video when there's motion Uh, and they have sound, you know, if we're like Emily and I are on a date or something and we can, we can press on the app to talk and then we can talk through the camera to the kids and stuff, uh, check in on the babysitter (laughs) and stuff. Super creepy when you do that. Uh, but anyway, it's been a very good system. And so if you're looking for something, uh, especially for a photography studio, since security is very important there, uh, Arlo is one that I would recommend. Cool. Cool. All right, Nathan and Brenda, it's been awesome to talk with you guys. Where can people follow your work online?
2: Well, you can find me at Brenda Petrella on Instagram. So it's P-E-T-R-E-L-L-A. It's my last name. And uh, my website is brendapetrella.com. And I just um, started putting some tutorials up on YouTube. And I actually did a, a waterfall, a uh, how to do waterfall photography in winter tutorial if people want to check me out on YouTube there. Awesome
1: uh yeah so if you want you can try to find me on facebook but i'm not active there uh i use instagram so i am saint andre photography there and my website is saintandrephotography.com that's s-t-a-n-d-r-e photography.com and so that's where i do all my um interactions so instagram and my um facebook page awesome. on my facebook my website
0: well good talking with both of you bye
2: thank you too thanks a lot jim have a good day